Hey everyone, I have a special guest today. <laughs> um, my Portland BFF, uh, Krista, and um, I am going to be interviewing her. Our topic for tonight is having a dual diagnosis. So Krista is knitting and I am doing my uh, happy color. And we're just going to have a conversation. Uh, it may bore you. And it's okay. <laughs> but we're fascinated by uh, these topics. So, kind of like what we talked about before, um, you know, as if you were at a speaker meeting and doing what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. So, let's start with just your story. And then, then let's sort of move to... You know, being an AA and having dual diagnosis, and and first and letting people know what what even that means. Okay. So yeah. All right. Sounds good. So again, my name is Krista, and I'm an alcoholic, and I am also diagnosed as bipolar. Um, born and raised in Portland, child of alcoholics, and my first boyfriend was also a heavy drinker, alcoholic. And while I was in counseling for what was then considered severe depression at 17 and 18, I went into counseling and my counselor suggested that I look into Al-Anon. So I started my recovery journey at uh, like a month after my 18th birthday in 1988. And have been involved in some sort of 12-step program, including Overeaters Anonymous, Debtors Anonymous, Adult Children of Alcoholics, Al-Anon, and AA, to name most of them. Um, I got married kind of young, 23, um, and I got into that relationship mostly because I had such a hard time with not being emotionally regulated that I needed somebody that I knew would take care of me. And I found someone who was loyal to a fault and would take care of me despite my um, insane mood swings. So we got married at 23, didn't have children for many years, eight years, and then, so at 30, we had kids. At 35, we decided that we no longer wanted to be married. And I, one part of the discussion that we had around getting a divorce and who we were as people and where we wanted to go in our future was that we both knew we were fairly unhappy and needed outside help. So I had been on some kind of medication, antidepressants, for a couple of decades at this point. And my then husband was not medicated, but we both decided that we needed to get some outside help. So I went back into counseling. Um, Actually, I had had a counselor, but I ended up going to a, a different counselor, a psychologist, somebody with a prescription, 
ability to give prescriptions. And she, after a couple of sessions, diagnosed me as bipolar. And I started bawling as soon as she said that because I knew it was true. What that looked like was um, that my mood swings are intimately tied to my menstrual cycle. And I would have two weeks of overachievement and then two weeks of almost uh, paralysis. So I sort of limped through life on this two week on, two week off um, cycle. And when I was manic, for example, the, the things that I now realize aren't normal are staying up all night for three nights in a row making greeting cards. I made 1,200 greeting cards in three days. Wow. Yeah. Were you going to start your own business or Well, something? it was right after Hurricane Katrina, and I wanted to raise some funds to donate, and I did. I raised $500. But, um, you know, I had two kids at the time, and right. I was a nut job. There's also the time where my then-husband came home at 5 o'clock in the evening, and I was standing on top of a chair in my bra and panties dusting the ceiling fan because I'd been so distracted all day that I never managed to get dressed, finish getting uh, dressed. Wow. Like I was so manic that right. I was just going from one thing to another and uh, writing notes, crazy obsessive notes. And then when I'm down, what that looks like is I just disappear. I go to bed and I sleep for you know, 24, 48, 72 hours, get up, go to the bathroom, eat. Um, my journey with AA started a few months after um, my then husband and I decided to divorce. I had an, an episode I would also have these um, rage episodes where I would get uh, so angry and destructive and break things and I had one of those episodes and left the house um, to go live in my car <laughs> so this is at 35 with two five-year-old kids I just said I was done and, and walked off and it was you know there were other circumstances around that but um it was you know one of these bipolar moments and I ended up at a friend's house and I slept and drank for three months wow so my kid you know I abandoned my kids they didn't see they didn't know anything about what's going on with mom you know when they're five um so I ended up going to intensive outpatient in Portland for the bipolar diagnosis to to get some additional help as you know I had you know mentioned before and they asked me about my drinking of course like they're prone to do and <laughs> they didn't think that my drinking was normal they considered it self-medicating and I had to take a look at that so I 
voluntarily while I was in doing this intensive outpatient five days a week, um, went to my first AA meeting and because I had been going to 12 steps most of my adult life, I knew what I was in for. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, it was interesting that it hadn't occurred to me that my alcohol was a problem, but, uh, so I just went to kind of check it out and I've been there ever since. So that's been 17 years ago. Um, I got sober right away, but I did relapse after a year and a half. So I now have almost 15 years. It will be 15 years next month. Wow. Of sobriety. Um, so that's kind of, you know, how I got into AA and, and sort of my dual diagnosis story. Um, what is, what is dual diagnosis? It just means that you have, so dual, we all know what dual means too. Mm -hmm. So you're diagnosed as bipolar and then you're diagnosed also as alcoholic, alcoholic. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's specifically, so this is fascinating to me just in terms of, you know, the step one, you know, and well, not the powerless over alcohol piece, but you know how once you get some time, you realize it's not the alcohol, it's the alcoholism. Mm -hmm. So what was your journey like around distinguishing, you know, what is the alcoholism and what is being bipolar? Yeah, that's a really great question. And I don't know that I can really delineate, you know, I don't know that I can draw a line between the two. I think that my alcohol abuse was a direct result of the bipolar issues and that they're both, in my opinion, they are both defense mechanisms that I have inherited. They're genetic, yeah. but it's also my go-to when I'm uncomfortable. So my responses are to drink, yeah, to numb the pain, and or to have a extreme response emotionally. Like they're both defense mechanisms. Right. So, so sometimes when I'm uncomfortable, I will feel this pull to go into a depression. Mm. Like it was. Uh, and do you think it starts with the depression and then you go into mania or has it ever? Well, I'm more of a depressive than uh, mania. But um, you do have manic I do episodes. have manic episodes. And as I've said, I think it's intimately related to my cycle. Right, yeah. Um, what I found interesting is that I've been medicated more to prevent mania than depression. Oh, that wow. seems to be more the emphasis with uh, the doctors and the treatment is to make sure that you don't end up manic because that's when you do a lot of damage to society. Oh, okay. When you're depressed, you're, you're just doing your, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're not happy, yeah. but you're not 
you know inflicting crazy ideas you're not out in the world breaking into people's cars or right. running down the street naked or you know what I mean it's wow that's quieter. really fascinating I didn't even think about that yeah yeah so I have been um, able to avoid a real manic episode but the depression is not as well treated so but I'm also bipolar too and the difference between those yeah what's the difference what is that uh, bipolar 2 tends to have less dramatic mood swings than a bipolar, what used to be called manic depressive, but bipolar 1. And bipolar 1 tends to have more aggressive mania. Yeah. And more full-blown mania for more um, dramatic manic kinds of episodes but wasn't there a period where the someone thought you were bipolar one do you remember that yeah so how did you kind of navigate being like well you know I mean what was the process to go like that doesn't really well there's I think in the DSM or whatever it's called DSM-5 yeah there is a there's some measurement of time between episodes that you have to you know there's a criteria that has something to do with time right so just because you're having aggressive angry episodes doesn't mean that you're just automatically bipolar one you know it's sort of tracking it and seeing like how often are you having yeah and that's my that's my understanding again I yeah no absolutely this is just you know, but I don't meet the criteria for bipolar one. So bipolar two is uh, the milder form. Right. Um, and then you you also went on quite a journey with the meds. Oh my God, yeah. You know. Well, I got diagnosed at 35. So I was diagnosed at 17 with severe depression. It wasn't until I was 35 that I was diagnosed with bipolar, which I think is more appropriate. Were you on meds? For... I was on meds. Wow. Yeah. So well, since 17. So even the meds just weren't. Well, obviously, if you're bipolar, then the meds would. It's sort of like giving aspirin to like a gunshot wound. I mean, it's not. Is that? Well. Or is it that they're not working on the right parts of the brain or? They were working on the depression, but some antidepressants can cause mania in manic-depressives. Wow. Yeah. So it can, um, you know, make you a little too happy. Right. Um, And, you know, I was on, I think, Zoloft for a long time, and it kept me from being suicidal, but it was my husband at the time that said, you know, that really isn't good enough you can do better right like you're right um so yeah I was on um antidepressants all that time and then they put me on the I think they're SSRI um mood stabilizers Mm -hmm. when I was 35 um and you know I tried everything from lithium to i tried pretty much everything that's out there Mm -hmm. um and 
some of them were just horrible. Some of the side effects were just awful. Um, you know, I was on, what's the one that was so famous? Ugh, can't think of it right now. Um, oh, Prozac. That wasn't good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was the one that um, made you shake? Uh, or did they all do that? No, I don't remember. There was one where um, when it worked, the side effects were too much. Right. When it got to a high enough dose that it actually was working and it actually gave you relief, the side effects were, I think one of them was like... I've been on so many. I've been yeah. terrible about tracking what does what. Well, like, that's I've why been on so we many need medications. That... Doctors who write things down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? um, yeah, so your experience with, um, I mean, I've been on antidepressants or anti-anxiety. Mostly, the longest time was anti-anxiety, and then recently I've added the antidepressant, and then I remembered that, oh yeah, in my 20s, I started medication with Prozac because, mm -hmm. you know, but um, it's really been, but I've been very fortunate in that I have, knock on wood, minimal side effects, if any, mm -hmm. and they work. Now, my story is, is that they will stop working. Right. And then I'll have to switch. So I've certainly been on a lot. But once I switch, they work, you mm. know, or, you know, I'll have to be like, can we, they always start you on the lowest dose. And I'm like, this, no, this girl needs, I'm not, you know, again, an aspirin for a gunshot wound. No. But um, it was really like being your friend during a lot of, not all of it, but, you know, I'd say we're on like 12 years or something yeah. like that, that really seeing how much work. And just, uh, and having to go through, like, trying it, yeah, you know, and that's like, I, you know, one of my adorable, loving sponsees, it's like, having to go through the time where the doctors are telling you, like, no, you just need to give it more time, or we gotta just, or let's just try, I mean... Yeah, let's try more and or, before we give up on or it. Or let's add this, yeah. you know what I mean, and see if that will help, and so... Yeah, just, you know, it's like the holy grail, you know what I mean? Well, it was, um, I think, 15 years after the, was it? No, it wasn't that. It was. It took eight years before I found the Lynch, you know, the, the anchor medication that helped me. Um, and that kept me from having such frequent violent mm. outbursts yeah um which i think was my more common mania right I mean, there'd be other times where i do stupid stuff and um get a little bit too happy mm. but for the most part my um you know it would manifest in either rage or depression i go back and forth between the two so I got on the one medication that really helped, and then it wasn't until just a couple of years ago, so 15 years later, mm -hmm. that I found another medication that seems to make it so that every day is not painful. Mm -hmm. You know, most of my life, every day has been like fighting to walk through mud. Ugh. Just, you know, I want to call in sick to work every day. 
Right. Because it's just too much. Yeah. You know, and sometimes it would be too much. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's been in the last couple of years that I actually can enjoy getting up and enjoy my routine and look forward to work. How, what was it like for the 15 years of trudging? I mean, not in the good, like, happy, you know, trudge the road of happy destiny, but slogging. Yeah. So let's say slogging. Like, was it just like... Well, this is where recovery yeah, so let's yeah helps kind of give me some life skills to figure out how to you know, wrangle some joy right out of my existence. And so recovery is just a lot about life skills and learning to live life on life's terms. Right. So I had, you know, alcoholism the alcohol once I got the alcohol out of my system I still have this other diagnosis that's kind of uh, making it hard to function mm-hmm. really function yeah. not just enjoy life but you know, just function um, so I had a sponsor at one point that you know I would talk about about depression and I had five years at the time and she was blown away that I had that much time because she thought I was a newcomer because I was so miserable. Oh, right. Um, Okay. And she said, I don't know how to help you with your depression. Why don't you do the steps on it? Oh, wow. What was that like? Well, it was pretty informative, pretty amazing that uh, thinking about how I am powerless over this diagnosis, how I'm powerless over how it affects me on a daily basis and how, you know, and I still, um, am learning how a higher power can restore me to sanity and Mm -hmm. it's literal sanity that I can't do this by myself. I lean into people, um, and my higher power in a way that I didn't before, Yeah, you know? Um, but doing, having some insight into how my depression has affected other people. What was the four step like when you did the steps around the depression? What was the fourth step like? Or do you, did you like do what, I mean, I'm thinking of our listeners and anyone who's identifying going like, Oh, that sounds like a great idea. Yeah. You know? Well, just like with the alcohol, what damage did I do? So the fourth step is doing a moral inventory. Um, The harms, the fears, the resentment, sexual conduct. Yeah. So I could say, like with alcohol, that there were behaviors in my life that were a direct result and influenced by my mood swings. Oh, okay. So it was sort of through those goggles. Yeah. You know, so it's easy, for example, to think about how my kids are affected by a mom who's in bed all the time. Oh, yes, I see what you're saying. Okay. Because it's not because it's alcohol-related. You know what I mean? So then you could just sort of be like, these are behaviors... When I was stone cold sober, yeah, you know, this is purely a behavior that's a result of having bipolar yeah. in this case, you know, yeah. 
Yeah, I see. Yeah, that would be. Now, so doing the force, like what harms were created by, through the, by having this behavior. Yeah, okay. So then you do your fifth step. You talk to your sponsor. So I'm curious about six and seven. Mm-hmm. You know, like... Okay, and here's what I'm curious about. All right. Alcohol, let's let's sort of alcoholism, straight up alcoholism. And, you know, you go into the rooms and basically they're like, you're emotionally stunted. You know, you need to get some life skills and you need to mature emotionally. So all of those things that happened to you that you drank over, you didn't learn how to emotionally regulate. You didn't gain any wisdom and experience from that. And so you're really, I'm speaking of myself and other people, Mm -hmm. you're really a 12 year old in a 30 year old body emotionally. Right. So you come into the rooms and you start to do the work and you do actually, if you do recovery, do emotional sobriety, Mm -hmm. you know, you do actually sort of mature out of that stunted immature and mm-hmm. immaturity right so in that sense you can say an alcoholic i hope i'm making sense alcoholic comes in the room emotionally is 12 years old drinks too much whatever okay go be in aa for a while do some recovery do the steps you know involve yourself whatever stick around you know 15 years later no longer emotionally mature, no longer, I mean, they still have the disease, you know what I mean? It's like, don't think that you can pick up, you know? So, do you get what I'm, yeah, you get where I'm going. So, does it help if I say, maybe it's more like food, where Uh, it doesn't go away? Yeah. You have to change your relationship with it. Yes, let's talk about that. So, as I said, sometimes, you know, life gets hard and I feel a physical pull now. Um, my idea of what having a mental illness, having this mental illness, my experience with mental illness is for a long time I thought I was helpless and that I had no um, recourse that it was just going to happen and I would never know when it was going to happen. It was just completely random and uh, I had no control over it at all. Right. That it was just something that right happens. Yeah. Um, since then, you know, the idea of pause when agitated, mm-hmm. um, I now can see... Another metaphor I use is for other behaviors like food behavior or alcohol or anything turning to an old behavior. Um, you get on a train and you get on the train at A and you end up all the way at Z. Yeah. And you're like, well, shit, how'd that happen? Well, then you learn about the train and you learn about yourself and maybe you get off at J. Oh, okay. You know? So you, you've, you're changing your relationship. You see it sooner. Right. So, you know, eventually you don't get on the train. You right. do something else, you know, the, the yeah. five steps. 
So I now can see the progression of what is happening in my body and in my mind. Right. That I couldn't see before. I would just get depressed. Right. Now I feel this tug. Okay. To go into a depression. Yeah. And I can, with you know, yeah. a little more practice, pull myself and make a different decision. So yeah, I can totally relate to this. Like the food. A, a little bit, but I want to go back to, I want to sort of unpack what you said for, for me, for my understanding. I'm so happy we're doing this. Yeah. Honey. Yeah. Um, so you, I, I understand your train metaphor, but what came into my mind was like a big wave. So like, there you are, you're standing there. Here comes a big wave before you were like, yeah. Okay, here comes a big wave. You know what I mean? And you yeah. would just be like, okay, take me. At its mercy. At its mercy because, yeah. again, you just thought, well, you know, whatever it does, I just have to do. Right. And so I'm using my metaphor a little bit, and I'll probably mix metaphors with the train, <laughs> is like getting to a place where, first of all, you have to step back outside of that and see and so I could see how the four step you know or working the steps around your your diagnosis would be incredibly helpful because it's like this this reminds me of like the step one assignments that I give my sponsees around you have to understand the difference between powerless and helpless right you know what I mean you are powerless you are not helpless you are acting as if you're helpless Mm. You know what I mean? So first we have to like pull you back and have you look at, uh, understand that. So again, first you just felt like you were helpless. Like here it comes. I just, I have no recourse. Boom. I'm going to just go along with this ride. And so like you said, get on the train. Here comes the train. And who knows where I'm going to get off. I don't know. So then you start to work the steps around it, which gives you that space that you can... And this is what I love about the steps is that once you create that space, then it's something that you relate to. It becomes a relationship. Do you see what I'm yes. saying? So whereas like before, it'd be like the wave would come, you're the wave. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, here it comes. I can't do anything about it. It's right. genetic. It's whatever. But then through working the steps, you got to be like, no, 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 this is like a relationship. And this does remind me of like having an eating disorder, being bulimic Mm -hmm. or compulsive, you know, having food addiction where it's like, I feel, you know, we say the food is on my back. You know what I mean? Like the food is really on my back today. And then we have, you know, with hopefully, you know, a real um, good sponsor, we've been taught a set of tools. You know what I mean? And also, we, over time, through experience and the more time you get, it's like, what are the triggers? You know what I mean? Like, is that really a good idea? Should you go, you know what I mean? And, oh, oh, like, okay, if you have to go, family event or whatever, Mm -hmm. what are the tools that you, yeah. I didn't finish my sentence, but you knew what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, when you started talking about the wave, it's like, I I don't, I can't stop the wave necessarily, but I can understand tides. Like, uh, I can yeah. learn about yes. how it happens. 
Yeah. And then, you know, maybe see it coming before it hits me. And then, okay, so let's say you you see it coming. Mm-hmm. So how, because <clears throat> it's kind of like, this is where I really want to unpack this. So, for example, um, I'm wondering if it's similar to this. So I'm going to use a food example. Okay. So, um, I have to go to a family event out of town. So lots of like, okay, this is set up. This is a perfect setup. So I got to make sure, and I am conscious, you know what I mean? I'm not unconscious. I'm not whatever. I'm like, okay, I got my plan, whatever. Um, I start to feel, so I go, I'm at the event, you know, and all of a sudden I start to feel like, the food, the food is calling, you know what I mean? So I, I start texting people, you know, and I start to feel like the food is really calling or, and I'm, I'm trying to do a situation where it keeps escalating, mm-hmm. right? It keeps escalating. And then I'm like, I'm, I'm using all of my tools. And then, you know, one of the things that my sponsors and I have been talking about is when it's like, I, I'm done. Like, I actually have to now leave. You know what I mean? Like, I I can't please you because now my um, abstinence is at risk. Right. And so, and so then I leave. But do you get how I was trying to describe a situation where I walk into an, an experience and then things happen that kind of escalate my food issues, and then I'm working my program. Is there anything like that? Is it like that, or is it just hormonal? Well, there's situational aspect as well. So what came to mind immediately, and this was with the help of people who knew me intimately and would see this behavior, um, before I would get violent, like, you know, because yeah. I would still have episodes from time to time. Yeah. It's been now, I don't know, years since I've broken anything. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I break windows, break dishes, break yeah. um, computer, broke a lot of stuff. Um, and they could see it coming on. Oh. And so by them saying, okay, mom, why don't you take a break? Right. I started to notice what was happening to me physically. Oh. When you were giving your example, you used the word, I feel, I feel, I feel. Well, a lot of this is emotionally triggered. Right. So I now know that when I'm overwhelmed, I have a certain physical feeling in my body. Right. Of I'm overwhelmed. And if I continue to push, ah. I'm going to start breaking stuff. Okay. So I, because other people have helped me see that behavior. Right. And I've been able to, you know, see what's happening on the train before I get all the way to Z. Right. I can get off when I'm starting to feel that So in a feeling. sense, it does perfectly parallel because what I was talking about, the food on my back, it's a particular feeling where I can feel... That, you know, even one of my sponsees, we talk about, like, um, because I love the, you know, analogy of, like, 
the disease being, you know, an Irish mafia ex-boyfriend where the sex was so great, you know what I mean? But the relationship was so abusive, mm. meaning like there was this incredible satisfaction, yeah. but the cost of it was ridiculously high. Right. And so, you know, and we'd sort of talk about, you know, how like, the disease doesn't go away. There's no, we don't get cured of this and, and we have to be careful not to think that we're cured. So we'll say, but there are times where it's like, he's in the basement and mo- right. and, so, and when it's great, we don't, we comp- like, he's got a basement apartment underneath the house. And when things are going great and my programs, are, I don't even know he's down there. Right. And then when my sponsee and I were talking, we'd be like, we'd make jokes about, always playing our song we can hear it through the Mm -hmm. floor Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like these little things that that I don't even know if I could describe a feeling to you it's just a knowing like it's coming you know what I mean like there's yeah and again if someone said what does it feel like Nicole I'm like I I don't know how to describe what it feels like I just know when it's happening you know what I mean? I know when it's even before the food starts calling. It's like a moment right. before where it's like, I don't know. And again, through, you know, people sharing with me, like, all of a sudden I want to go see a movie. You know what I mean? Not for the movie. I want the popcorn. Mm. But even not even that big. It's just, oh, it's almost like. All of a sudden, the food that I love and I enjoy is not sexy enough. Mm. You know, I mean, it's just all, and it doesn't even, I don't even have that clear of a thought, like it's not sexy enough. It just all of a sudden isn't appealing. Yeah. And that's like the little tiny edge, you know? And then again, through time and practice, I know that that's my ex-boyfriend telling me that my current husband is boring my current stable satisfying you know balanced protein vegetable starch yeah you know whatever measured food whatever is fucking nourishment is fucking boring and he's down in the basement with his you know six pack yeah and his incredible like endurance you know and I need to come down there. Yeah. I know. So I remember one time being in a park mm-hmm. and all of a sudden I wanted a drink. Wow. Or a cigarette. Yes. Yeah. Or a donut. Or a man. Yeah. Or shopping. All these things went through my head like I need something right now. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit, <laughs> I'm having a feeling. <laughs> Now, let's take that moment and tie it to, like, was that completely separate from being bipolar? Was that, like, a total normal, like, not even on the range? So, what I mean... Yeah, I don't think I was... uh, There wasn't anything particularly... That's the addict part, right? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that's just... So, again, I want people to understand that what we just got to is, is, like, there's there's a range. And I, I think of it this way as, like... Uh, a soccer field with lines on the grass, right? And so in the field, you'll have regular emotions like sitting there and all of a sudden having a craving for something. Right. Yeah. And what you're talking about is 
with the bipolar is all of a sudden those nets that sort of mark the field, you go into these extreme ranges. Yeah. So then you have to sort of learn to discern, okay, I'm not in these extreme places. So now I know that this is about just, you know, my alcoholism or my addiction or whatever, and sort of learn to to distinguish between the two. So I don't I don't know why. Uh, I do believe that some of it's hormonal, just like I believe alcoholism is. Sorry, kick the table. So that's probably gonna make a huge noise that's all right. on there. Um, I believe that alcohol is an allergy. Yeah. I don't, I don't, other than that, I don't understand why I'm prone to certain responses in certain circumstances. Right. The best um, idea I have is a counselor that I've worked with recently talks about a window of tolerance. Oh, yeah. For uncomfortable emotions. Yeah. And I've really come to believe that most of, for me anyway, my uh, tendencies towards wanting to use something or have a depressive or manic episode yeah. is in order to avoid being uncomfortable. Okay. I, I really believe that that's... Yeah. These are defense mechanisms. Yeah. So I could survive this extreme yeah. discomfort. Yeah. My counselor talked about this window of tolerance and that I had a pretty narrow window of tolerance. And maybe when I'm in that window of tolerance or getting toward the edges of the window of tolerance, then I could go to food or sex or alcohol. But when I get out of that window of tolerance, I go to sleep. Okay. Or I get angry. Yeah. Okay. All of a sudden there's no appropriate emotional response. There's no middle range. Right. I go from one to the other because those are safe. Right. Okay. So I like that. So the window of tolerance, when you get close to the edge, is when, like, the addiction, the escaping the present moment. But once you cross that edge, then your own body's defense mechanism of, like, fight or flight freeze. And so you're in fight. Yeah. Your fucking fight, and then maybe you know part of your body's response is okay. I don't want to kill anyone. Let's go to bed. Yeah. You I mean, know? I feel it. Like I get tired, and yeah. I've had it happen before where I was emotionally triggered. Yeah. And I fell asleep. Well, actually, it's funny that you. I don't want to name names. Well, I suppose I could say names. I had a, a friend, Elizabeth, and she, that would happen. Yeah. And one time we were having, it was sort of a romantic friendship. It was kind of like. We'd never get together because we just couldn't do that, but it was it was just, you know, there was a little bit of energy there. So one time we were having a serious talk, and I watched her go from alert to, like, couldn't keep her eyes open. Yeah. It was like, I'm, yeah. and I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't get mad because she told me, you know, it was the only, it was the first time that it happened. Yeah. Where I got to watch. Yeah, you were outside of her window of tolerance and her body took over. And her body took over. It just took over. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Man, our bodies are like, our survival mechanisms are fucking so awesome. Yeah. So I, I 
this is part of why I feel like on some level, in some ways, the 12 steps are useful for both diagnoses because they are both defense mechanisms. I see. Okay. Wow, that's powerful. So. So then, like, we get, so you're doing the steps. I just want to sort of finish the, doing the steps around being bipolar. What was six and seven? How did you... So I, t- you know, I've been in recovery. I started in 1988. Um, I've got almost 15 years of sobriety, but I've got a lot of time in Al-Anon. I tend to think of myself as being on lots of different steps in different areas yeah. or different. Um, you know, I'm in 10, 11, and 12. Yeah. On one sort of plane, but yeah. I'm still on six and seven in another yeah. you know that's kind of those are the ones I'm kind of working okay more diligently right now um well I'm just wondering it's that. like so I guess like and I'm you know I want to focus on the working the steps around like bipolar or whatever yeah. it is it's like our character defenses mm-hmm. and then to pray to have them removed right like how well, it's not it's not on my timeline. I mean, that's kind of the big thing I've had to decide is that it's up to my higher power to. Um, give well, I'm just me... even thinking like what they would be. Right. Well, I could think of one, which is like going into helplessness, absolving yourself of responsibility. You know, just based on what we talked about. Um, well, one of them for me for a long time was being a flake. You couldn't count on me to actually show up to something. And it's because I couldn't promise to be able to handle it emotionally. Oh, I might okay. be depressed. Okay. I spent a lot of my life making plans. And then by the time it would come around, I wouldn't be able to follow through. Yeah. That's and for the most part that has been removed. Okay. I see what you're saying. And I... And I can attest to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can attest to that having been removed. It's just um For the most part. For the most part. Yeah. You know. Um yeah, we all ganged up on her and said <laughs> Well, you know, that was really a powerful conversation for me. That was one of the enlightening, you know, I consider that sort of a ninth step on my depression that you did by explaining to me what my depression uh, was like for you when I disappeared. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, I wasn't planning on doing this ninth step with you, but we had a real heart-to-heart conversation. I think it was on your, we were talking about it at some point, and you just let me in on your experience of what that was like. And that was really enlightening and powerful. And I did it without shaming her. Right. I just shared what it felt like. Yeah. You know, and so I just want people to understand that. Wow. I didn't know that. And, um, and it was, and it was a lot of my recovery that I was able to just share. Here's what it feels like to be on the other side of that. Yeah. You know, just so you know, you know, wow. Yeah. So I see it now I can see like, so then the amends and then the steps six and seven kind of like looking at just the facts, ma'am. You know what I mean? Like, 
oh, but I have, but I'm bipolar. So it's like, no, just the facts. You know what I mean? Like maybe getting impatient, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that would be on a six and seven, you know, it's, I'm just trying to think of like, if people did it, what would be, you know, I mean, cause you wouldn't, would you put like going to sleep in the middle of a conversation or, I mean, how, do you get what I'm saying? How yeah. would you tease out like, yeah, you know, your genetic, <laughs> you don't want to, so for example, if we used alcohol, you wouldn't put as a character defect, my body reacts to the alcohol. Right. You know what I mean? You're like, okay, that's not, you know. So it would just be, I guess, like, what is the collateral damage? Yeah, what are the what are the behaviors? What are the behaviors? Know? Yeah. And that you do have to take responsibility for that. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So, for example, yes, the bipolar makes you angry, but breaking things is still, like, would be a character defect. Right. Okay. I think so. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, you know, the other ones that I can think of on the top of my head are um, being late all uh, the time. Yeah. That's something that I, a behavior that was no longer working for me. Yeah. That was hard on other people. And I made a conscious decision to okay. change that. Wow. Yeah. That kind of, you know, I used yeah. to be, I used to be 15 minutes late to everything. Yeah. To I, everything. Yeah. I'm not, I don't do that so much anymore. No, um, don't. not answering my phone. Oh Yeah. Thank you for changing that. I don't know if I've ever actually said thank you for changing that. I actually like do, you know, even when I'm having a hard time, I can at least respond, you know, with a smiley face. Let me. So you can respond with a smiley face. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Just to like, I'm here. I acknowledge that you. I acknowledge, yeah. I don't have a lot, but I can at least acknowledge that you've reached out yeah and I want to say that um you've also helped me with uh under recognizing that you know having people in my life who struggle with dual diagnosis and you've been a a model for like okay actually no I don't have to tolerate this you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. no, this actually does hurt my feelings that you just fucking disappear and I don't hear from you. And then you throw down the, like, I was depressed card and I'm, which I'm like, okay, but we've had this conversation when you weren't saying you were depressed. And now I have you to go like, okay, actually I have a friend who knows how to be depressed and show up in the relationship. Even if all she does is send me a little smiley emoji you know what I mean? It's just really taught me, you know, yeah. um, like, oh, no, I can say, like, this doesn't work for me. And I think that's the difference between having the tools of recovery and not having them. Yeah. Because my life in recovery is a commitment to continually grow. Yeah. And continually do better and yeah. continually be more available and continually be more of service and continually show up more genuinely and more openly than I did yesterday. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, 
you know, and if I didn't have that and didn't do the steps around being bipolar and it was comfortable or accepted that there was nothing I could do about it and then I'm just a victim of this diagnosis and there's no I'm just this is just how it is right then that would be my state of affairs as well right is that I wouldn't be able to it have an an improved life right you know it's just like with any disease I was about to say it's the same with alcoholism like oh I, I'm an alcoholic I have a disease I can't do anything about it so I guess I'm just going to be an alcoholic my whole life and you know everyone needs to just know that it's a disease and don't blame me and you know and it's like well yeah but there is actually a proven method that works you know now granted not all of us have the same level meaning like some of us yeah we got to go to meetings every day. We got to work, you know, we have to be mm-hmm. in the middle, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, well, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. but even if you're someone that it's like, you have to be in the middle. Well, you know, and that, you know, I want a better quality of life than just accepting, you know, and just being reliant on medication and doctors. Yeah. I want a better quality of life and, you know, that's a spiritual answer, yeah, yeah. just like with anything else. Yeah. Like, how do I find joy despite the fact that I have a hell of a time getting up and getting out of bed Yeah. in the morning? Yeah. You know? So that leads me to this question, which is, do you think you're, have you just learned to stay in your window of tolerance, or do you think your window of tolerance is slowly increasing? My, I believe that my window of tolerance is getting wider, okay. meaning um, I can be uncomfortable and just be uncomfortable. I love that you're saying that because um, when uh, uh, one of the times that I was telling Julie, this was a while ago, years ago, about like getting slippery with the food or something. She said, Nicole, at some point you have to be willing to put the food down, food down and just be uncomfortable. And that really landed. You know how like mm-hmm. you gotta be in the right, like yep. that concise like, oh, right. You know, because when when things got uncomfortable growing up, they got they could get dangerous. So escaping the present moment was just like I'm just become an expert at, you know, escaping the present moment in a myriad of ways. Yeah. Now, granted, food is my staple, you know, but food, TV, fantasy, reading, books, you know. So, yeah, I think that being able to stay on the planet. So you you talked about, I don't want to go have this be too long, but I do want to sort of I have a, a wrap-up question, but before we get there, you talked about um, sort of spending so many years, like, slogging, right? And, finding, and what I thought of is, like, I feel like certainly for a long, long time, like, 
you know, the whole, where's my cancer? That's my version of like, so it's not the slogging, but it's, and I don't feel this way right today or recently, which is why I can talk about it, which is like, if I had the opportunity to sacrifice my life so that someone else, like if a woman, you know, over here got cancer, I'd take her cancer and so she could live. And I wouldn't do it out of like, oh, you're so selfless. I'm like, no, get me the fuck off this planet. Like, no, this is not selfless. I'm just trying to do this in a way where it's like, as long as I'm going, let me save this mom, you know, from Mm -hmm. ovarian cancer so she could live. You know, and I even remember, you know, one time going through a dark spell and and talking about, um, like, you know, coming in my mind thinking about, like, you know, that we have a population problem, like too many people. And it's like, you know, it's a shame, you know, that we couldn't just volunteer to just be like, yeah, take me. You know what I mean? Like that people could just go like, you know, sort of like assisted suicide, but just kind of be like, you know what, we've got... I would love to be off the planet. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to end a violent death. Like, if you could do something really sweet and gentle, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it would just be done. Like, you know, sort of offer that. Like, kind of like how China's like, could you just have one child? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, look, we have a population problem. Anyone who wants to volunteer to leave early, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, you're you're invited to do so. And then we could just, people would just be like, yeah, okay. And like how many people would, would do that? So I just shared about this, which is that, you know, I was, it was getting better. And then this last year when I got sick again, the where's my cancer came back. Oh, and the other side of the where's my cancer is, so I'm sitting here, there's a mom with kids and, you know, she's like, I just got diagnosed with stage four cancer. I'm like, you bitch. You know what I mean? Like, that's so not fair. You know what I mean? Like, why do you get cancer? So that's the whole, where's my cancer? Yeah. So that had kind of, you know, started to go away. And then the pandemic hit. Um, and it was still away. But then I got sick. Yeah. Again. And I, I'm very much convinced that it was just the ambient stress of the pandemic. And I got sick and I wasn't getting better. And I hadn't been that sick for that long since the very, very beginning. And then right before I started getting better is when I started having that where's my cancer thought. And that's when, and again, now I know, you know what I mean? And so I was able to call my doctor and be like, yeah this feeling's coming back, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? We need to do something now. Yeah. And so think, and then, you know, she put me on the lowest dose and I'm like, so then I had to wait, you know, and go through the pain of waiting. And then, you know, on November 5th, I got to, you know, increase my dose. And on November 7th is the first day I woke up not feeling sick. Now, it wasn't just that. I was also doing a fuck ton of supplements, all these other things. But it's almost like that was the final piece that put it all together. So Mm -hmm. that, um, so, um, so anyways, just sort of acknowledging, like, understanding the slogging and then both being in a place where, 
you know, right now one of my sponsees is going through, you know, the purifying flames of hell. And I'm like, there will be a time in your future. Yeah. And in that time, you will be looking back on this time. And I feel like we're both kind of there. Like, you know, and it's not to say that another, like, you know, wave or, you know, trial tribulations, you know, you, no one gets out alive. Right. That's you know, right. but in terms of struggling with, you know, the mental health issues, the PTSD, well, for me, the PTSD, for you, the bipolar, you know, working recovery like a fucking bitch, like just working it, knowing it's the solution, and then having all of these pieces finally coalesce, you know, to, okay, I can actually have a good life and, and let myself have it which is the other piece, mm-hmm. you know, not self-sabotage, not going to like, you know, where's my drama? You know what I mean? Like, oh, okay, boring is actually not really boring. <laughs> <laughs> you know, It's actually just stable, mm-hmm. you know? So my final question for you is, um, what would you say to uh, maybe a young person mm-hmm. listening to your story and identifying. Wow. Um, another, throw out another metaphor. For me, I really had to find that linchpin medication before I could even use any of the tools. So I talk about how I was drowning and until I had the right medication, I couldn't get my head above water enough to even see the life raft. Right. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So until I was uh, able to regulate, and the example might be like trying to do the steps while you're still drinking. Oh, right. I see what you're saying. So I can't use the tools of the steps unless my brain chemistry is closer to normal. Wow, that's powerful. Yeah, so I really feel like medication has to be one of the early steps to get some semblance of um, functionality. Right. You know, Uh, so to not give up on the meds, just keep going even though it can take a decade. I was just about to say, like, so then, you know, a, you know, sort of, it doesn't beg the question, but it sort of leads to, you know, a relevant follow-up question around any words of encouragement if you're doing that and it's just, you're in that place of like, no, that's not where, you know. So it can get better. Like, you know, I look at my son who has inherited uh, everything that he could have gotten from myself and my husband and he's currently in uh inpatient in the psych ward with a schizophrenic uh diagnosis in his future and some days it's hard for him to remember he's kind of my hero because he gets up every day and is willing to give it another shot wow yeah some days he ends up a puddle on the floor and says he just can't take it, but he gets up the next day and does it again. Yeah. Like it's kind of phenomenal to me. Um, it can get better. It, you know, hang on to that one little bit, 
you know, they talk about you just have to have 51% mm-hmm. to tip the scale. Yeah. You know, just find that one thing that you can hang on to, whether it's reading or a good friend or a good counselor, like find that one thing. One thing is enough. One thing is enough. One yeah. thing is enough. Yeah. You know, it, and it's not going to happen overnight, but just those that it's those little pieces. Yeah. It's that one thing. Yeah. And you build strength with that one thing and you use that to get to the next thing. And I want to add, cause I'm relating to when, you know, I was dealing with the trauma memories and the exhaustion that the one thing that can just, even if it's just can take you through this one hour. Yeah. Like you can take it one hour at a time. Yeah. And, but you just keep, you know, okay, you know, for this next hour, you know, and some days, yeah, you got to break it down. Well, anyway, honey, yeah. this has been fabulous. Yeah, this has been great. Yeah, so hopefully um, I can get you to come back and okay. we'll wax um, philosophical. Some more. You yeah. know. All right. Thanks, everyone.